Hi, welcome to Evidence for Faith. It's your host, Michael Lane. I'm coming to you in our series that we're doing on the basics of Christian living. And this lesson here today is one, it's going to cover a lot. There's a lot of Bible verses in this. We're going to be looking at a large passage. But the question that we're going to be answering today in Christian living is, how should Christians live? That's the title of this one. How should Christians live? Because to be honest, uh, I get asked this frequently by different people, particularly new Christians. Uh, and considering, too, the world we live in, I mean, watch the news or just walk down the street, um, you'll see a lot of things going on that just Christians should not get really involved with. So we, do, we, do we have any guidelines that God gives us to help us in this? Yes, we do. So how Christians should live. Let's begin with prayer and we'll get started then and dive into this lesson here today. Father God, we thank you for this time that we can have. And Lord, I just ask that you bless this podcast that, and all those who are listening, that Lord, that this will uh, impact them. Not the words that I put together, but your Holy Spirit will use this to really impact people and helping us to live in these last days, these last days, and how we should live, because your word is the answer to things. And we, we ask, Lord, that you just bless us as we go through this. In Jesus' name and for his glory, amen. The passage we're using, and we're using the English Standard Version, which is the one I use the most uh, in most of our podcasts and videos and stuff. It's Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. Now, this is going to go all the way into chapter 5, verse 21. You might be thinking, holy cow, Michael. Um, sometimes I've listened to some of your podcasts where you take a verse and you go for so many, like 45, 50 minutes. This is going to be what, seven days or something? No, it, this is going to be condensed, of course. You could make this into um, a whole, this passage into a whole couple of months of study, but we're just going to look at it briefly and, and see some things about how Christians should live. Because we could use a lot of different Bible passages, but this is the one that God put upon my heart to share with you all. So, let's begin with this. I want to begin by telling you a story, though. This happened a few years ago. I would, had finished speaking to a huge group of young adults about salvation and justification. Now, the weekend went very well. Several people grew closer to the Lord Jesus. As I was packing up my equipment, a couple came up to the stage, and they asked me a question. They wanted to know that since they were now Christians, how were they supposed to live back home in their neighborhood? They expressed a deep concern about how they live in their personal lives, at work, and at recreation. Now, what I told this couple basically is the subject of this lesson. You see, too many people believe that salvation is just an insurance policy deterring them from hell. What so many quote-unquote Christians do not realize is that Christianity is not such a policy. No, it's a relationship with Holy God through Jesus Christ, His only Son. As in any relationship, there is a give-and-take aspect to it. In this fallen world during these trying times, God just doesn't leave us wondering about how we are to live after we have repented. He tells us in his word. Jesus himself walked among people as a perfect example of how to live in a sinful and fallen world. He was not assimilated into it, but lived a distinctly different 
and holy life. So let's see what God has to say on this subject. And then my prayer will be that we all will do what he commands. Now, there's going to be like 13 points to this as we go into it. But before I actually get into this, I, I first want to point out something that sort of like covers the whole thing in miniature. Um, one of the most important passages God gives us, and it's found both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's that important. You see, when God was speaking to his people in the book of Leviticus, chapter 11, verse 45, and telling them how they're supposed to live, the Israelites, he said to them, you shall be holy. You shall... He says in Leviticus, okay, in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45, he says, you shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. This is so important, and this carries into the New Testament as well, because Peter writes the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14, 15, and 16. Again, we see how we're supposed to live. It says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That is how we're supposed to live in a nutshell. Jesus' message to the people was to repent. And he's telling us that we need to live holy lives. God commands that we should live holy lives, as capable as we are. If we did this alone, can you imagine how we'd have to change our lives? Actually, the whole world, I believe, would change. And recall that God has promised to help us live this life for him. But we're still subject to this sinful and fallen world. And so we are not perfect yet. That will come later when we leave this fallen world and enter into our eternal realm. But in the meantime, here we are, and we are to live lives as holy as we can, with God's help, of course. And that requires, though, for us to make some major changes in our lifestyle from what we were like before we became Christians to now our Christian life. Now, as I said, we could look at a lot of different places in Scripture. The New Testament is full of, of examples and passages on how um, we are to do this. Well, what I want to do is examine what Paul, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, wrote to the Ephesian church on this exact subject, on how we are to live. The passage, as I said, is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17, going through to chapter 5, verse 21. Now, we're going to go through this slowly to examine what exactly is God telling us in how to live our lives today. Now, we're going to take this section by section as we go through it. So starting, first of all, in verse 17 and reading through verse 20, it reads this way. Now, I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. When Paul wrote the term Gentile, which we see in verse 17, he's using 
a linguistic metonymy, meaning he's not just speaking of the, uh, of the Greeks, where he's talking about Gentiles and um, that he's speaking just to Greeks. No, what he's doing, he's speaking to all ungodly people. He then describes their lives in comparison to a holy life because he writes, they are darkened in their understanding. This means that their views are distorted spiritually and they are morally corrupt. What's worse, they can't even understand God's holy way. To them, it's irrational. Now, this is true to this day of non-Christians. No doubt some of you have experienced this. You try to explain uh, some passage or something to people, non-Christians, and they just don't understand it. This is why. You see, as Paul described non-Christians, they are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. In other words, they're spiritually blind. They're separated from God, incapable of knowing God's truth. This is because the Holy Spirit reveals God's truths to us. Non-Christians cannot understand God's word because they do not have the Spirit of God in them teaching them. That's why they don't understand and are ignorant. First Corinthians chapter 2 verses 10 through 13 actually states this also. This has resulted in them yielding to a depraved way of life with a loss of moral restraint, especially in the sexual nature. This also leads them to be desirous to, as Paul Wright wrote, to practice every kind of impurity. Now really, let's be frank, doesn't this sound like the world today that we're living in? As Christians, with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us, he implores us not to act that way. Remember, before we Christians were born from above, before we were saved, we were all like that, every single one of us. But now we've been saved through faith by grace of God. We are going through, Christians are going through a metamorphosis in which God is making us more and more like Christ through his indwelling spirit. Well, we come back to the question then, how are we to live? Well, let's continue with what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4. Let's look at verse 22 and 23. We read, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, God has washed us. He's cleansed us, cleaned us all up. And now he's telling us not to dive back into the cesspool of our former way of living. He said here, and the word was, renew our minds. Did you notice something very important here? Salvation affects not only our soul, but our mind as well. God gives us a new mind for understanding his ways, and it includes moral reasoning. We can understand his truth now. Because of this, this totally changes us into a new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. We're a new creation. We are going through, as Christians, we are going through a spiritual metamorphosis. We have a, as it says, new self, created in the likeness of God, Paul wrote. 
that can power us to be, as he says, righteous, which is also holy. Remember, though, we Christians, we're not perfect. But we are being changed from our former self to a more Christ-like image. Now, the longer we live and grow in Christ, the more we should mimic him. But what does this entail? Again, back to the question, how are we to live in this world of corruption and filth? Well, Paul continues in verse 25. It reads, having, or Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. You see, first of all, our language should not be like the world's. Our language should be holy because we should speak truth. Lying is not God's way. Wow, a lot of politicians would have problems with that and should have problems with that. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, we read, it is impossible for God to lie. You ever wonder, is something impossible for God? Well, here's one thing that God can't do. It is impossible for God to lie. Matter of fact, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, basically speaking about Jesus, says, He, Jesus, committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. So we're not to lie. A second point on how we're supposed to live. We should control ourselves. Control ourselves. Ephesians chapter 4, verse now 26 and 27 reads, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, this is an interesting thing because many people believe that anger, being angry, is always bad and is sinful. Well, this tells us that is not the case. The type of anger that is Sinful is uncontrolled anger, bitterness, selfishness, that type of anger, and that is not what's being described here. Paul is writing that righteous indignation or anger against evil, against injustice, against immorality, against iniquity is something that is permissible. I mean, after all, Jesus at times showed anger. We read about this in all four Gospels. He showed anger in such circumstances. But even in those times, he controlled it. Because even righteous indignation, if it's left to run amok, can bloom into animosity. So, control your mind. Mm -hmm. Third, a third point. We should be honest in our lives and in our work. Verse 28 of chapter 4 reads, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. What's this mean? Well, lying <laughs> has always been around, but today there are very few sources of people we can trust. Um, we should live lives not only being honest in what we say, but also honest in our work ethic. Now, I myself personally have heard from leaders and owners in the corporate world of corporations and businesses say that they do not like to hire Christians anymore. Some flat out said, I won't hire a Christian if I find out this employee seeking employment for me is a Christian. And when I, uh, I'm puzzled by this, but they gave a reason. They said, we now find that most Christians 
who work for us are lazy. They're the ones that cheat on their work schedules by taking longer lunches, breaks when they're not deserving it, and long breaks. They are the ones that often come in late. They're the ones that leave early. Folks, this is a terrible example for Christians to be setting because we are ambassadors and representatives of God. This is not the way Jesus would do it. I was also recently speaking to a waitress at a nice family restaurant. And it was a Sunday. And sitting down, and as the waitress comes over, I started to get in a conversation. And, I mean, it was a nice, nice restaurant and stuff. And I asked her, as just before we ordered and stuff, I asked her um, if... Uh, you know, what, what she thought about having to work on this on Sundays. She said she hates to work on Sundays. She said, she flat out said it. I hate to work on Sundays. Now, I asked her, was this because she can't go to church? Well, <laughs> she replied, um, well, actually, I am not a believer. And what she meant by not wanting to work on Sundays is she said, Christians come after church. They come to lunch after church, and we get the smallest tips then. Most of my salary comes from tips that I get. What I get to take home is pay. A lot of it is dealing with tips. She says, working on a Sunday, I bring home the least amount of money all week long. She said, went on to say that these Christians claim to be like Christ, but they share the least of all customers. Isn't that a terrible example that we Christians are labeled with here? The Christians who claim, she said, and she did too, she says, they claim to be so full of grace, but they give very little. That's sad. A fourth point we're being told in this passage. We should not speak in a dishonorable or unholy way, basically with cussing and swearing. In verse 29 it reads, let no, one, not, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, my brother, who's now gone to be with the Lord, um, he was my older brother, much older than I was, but he was fond of a statement that he repeated frequently. At one point, he was my principal um, in a school for a couple of years that I was teaching. And he was constantly saying this, if you can't say something nice to someone, don't say anything at all. As a teacher myself, I had to be careful, as he was instructing me, I have to be careful with my students to say things that try to build them up and not to say things that tear them down. Yes, our language should be beautiful. It should be full of grace whenever appropriate. Today, I can hardly watch a modern action movie because of the language. It's so full of cussing, swearing, and blasphemy. This is not entertainment for me, nor my wife. I get very righteously indignant. She does even more than I do. Uh, righteously indignant with certain movies when we start to watch them and the language in them just irritates her. Or I remember a while back, I had a close friend who was a policeman. We went to the same Bible study. And when we were sitting and we were talking in this Bible study, he started talking about how his life in the precinct was, that he constantly swore and cussed all the time. I sat there and I was like, really? You sit and you swear and you cuss? And yet I know you're a Christian, but you sit and you do this? 
and I, I challenged him about this. And he said he had to do this to get the respect of fellow officers and to fit in the precinct. Well, I challenged him sitting there and I said, what kind of Christian example are you setting for these non-Christians? And he actually sat there and thought about this. And I told him, I said, your witness is being hampered by your language. Yeah, he thought about it. Before the, the Bible study was over as we were sitting there, he actually said to me, I, I really do need to change my life. I never caught that. I never realized that. There's a fifth point Paul makes. We're not to fall back into our old habits, especially when we are alone. Seems like most, most people, most Christians in particular, are most vulnerable when they are alone. Look at Ephesians uh, verses 30 and 31 in chapter 4. We read, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. You see, falling back into our old sinful habits after we have repented grieves, it says grieves the Holy Spirit. Now, the Greek word that's being used here is the word Lupeo, which, which means to experience a deep emotional pain or a deep emotional sadness. That's what this word is. Deep emotional sadness. This should be the last thing we would ever want to do to our loving God. And verses 30 and 31 to note what our old lives were like before we, repent, we, 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 before we repented and were born again. We should not live like that anymore. Christians, you don't live like that anymore. A sixth point Paul's giving us here is to imitate God. We Christians in this time that we're living in, we need to imitate God. Matter of fact, chapter 4 ends with a command on how we should act in this world, specifically telling us how we are supposed to act. In verse 32, we read, Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. You want to know how to live? Christians should be compassionate to others. And because we were forgiven of our offenses, our failings by Christ, we should do likewise with others, especially other Christians. What this is really saying is that we should mimic God, which is actually a command in the first verse of the very next chapter. Uh, look in, at Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. These two verses remind us with clarity of how we are not, repeat, not to live in this present age. God uses strong words here and makes this point absolutely clear. Recall again, this is coming from a holy God. And these behaviors of our old nature are the opposite of his perfect character. Paul continues this in verses 3 and 4. Remember now, we're in chapter 5. It reads, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, 
nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. Our world today is overflowing with sexual perversion and immorality. Many leaders and government officials today endorse, and some even go so far as to protect those behaviors listed in this passage. One very high-ranking government official of the United States states that now stealing is acceptable for certain groups of individuals. Besides government officials, even some denominational leaders now excuse such behaviors. No wonder Jesus said that heaven will be less populated than hell. You don't believe me? Read Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Notice as well that in, in verse 4 of chapter 5, God is specifically mentioning three times the act of speaking. He's telling us that we need to control our tongue. And that goes along with James chapter 3, verses 5, 6, and 7. So it reminds me, one thing that often made me very uncomfortable when I hung around with a group of Christians is when there were no women around, these godly men um, would sit and tell really crude jokes. And jokes they would never repeat in front of a female. This really bothered me. And I kept thinking, you know, why are you guys doing this? We, this is not how we're supposed to do this. We have to be careful in the way we talk. Now, the next section has God warning us what will happen to those who do not heed his warning. Now, this gets really serious. This is in verses 5, 6, and 7. Look at this and be prepared. This is God's, this is the Holy Spirit telling Paul to write this down. So this is God speaking. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who covets, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Now remember, as we've said so many times in this lesson already, God is a holy God. He has no sin, no vice. He also cannot overlook and accept sinful and immoral behavior because he is a righteous judge. Sinful behavior leads to death. And he spoke this with an oath. And since God, as we already said, cannot lie, that means he cannot break his oath. But, but he has provided a way for fallen man to be justified and our sins atoned for. And there's only one way this can happen. The only way this can be done is through the blood of Jesus, who died in our place. Thus, he is our propitiation. That's also stated in 1 John 4.10, and again in, in Romans 3.25. And he's the only way to eternal life with the Holy God. As I've stated, Christians are not perfect. Remember that. We're not perfect in this life. We're still going to sin. But the point is, these past sins that we used to have in our former lives should not be characteristic or, uh, or persistent in our new lives. That, that's 1 John chapter 1, verse 6. If a person claims to be saved and still walks in their prior sinful ways, folks, something is wrong here. These people need to, 
evaluate their spiritual condition. God also said something very alarming here. He said, let no one deceive you with empty words. You know what that means? That means Christians can be deceived. How? By people talking to us with worldly philosophies. How do we recognize this? If we don't study our Bibles well, we can easily become confused and influenced by worldly philosophies. Just to let you know, two days ago, I received an email from a very dear friend who's now in college. He's at a, um, at, at a university and he's taking a New Testament course, he and some of his other Christian friends, and the professor at this university is downplaying the New Testament and saying that the, the four gospels uh, were not written during the time period of the first century, um, that those uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John didn't even write those. Um, he went into certain passages saying uh, throughout the New Testament that has all sorts of errors and that it's not true, et cetera, et cetera. He's just bashing them. The student contacted me and said, help, the, my professor is, it, it's really hard to sit in this classroom with him just bashing my faith all the time. And he's getting me so confused, help me. And so I sat down and I wrote a long email encouraging him and citing certain things and telling him that we can be deceived if we're not careful. God also says that let no one deceive you here. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words. Yes, Christians can be deceived. Notice too in verse 7 that God says, do not become partners with them. Do not become partners with them. Yes, we're to be witnesses for Christ and befriend non-Christians, but we are not to partner with them and their vices. Or you know what happens? We too begin to follow that pattern. How many Christians I have known over my, um, my years in talking, and particularly in, in leading youth groups, where some of my Christian kids would hang out and hang around and, uh, with really ungodly people, non-Christians, and when I would you know, sort of ask them, why are you doing this? They would say, well, I'm witnessing to them and I'm gonna bring them up. It is so much easier and what usually happens is the Christian gets brought down to their level because they just fall into this. God is telling us here, do not partner with these things, these people with their vices, or you'll begin to follow the pattern. I see this so many times. To this end, the passage continues on how we should live today. Uh, now, there's a number of instructions given here, one right after the other. So I'm going to read this passage now in chapter 5 of Ephesians, starting at verse 8 and going through 21. Then we'll come back and we'll see what specifically um, is being mentioned here. But this is how it reads, starting Ephesians 5, 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is, a, it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Moving down to verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, 
but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melodies to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Large passage, let's break it down. The seventh point that was mentioned here now, we are to walk as children of light, it reads. Walk as children of light. What this means, it's talking about our actions, not just the physical nature of walking. It's talking about the actions and the behaviors. They are to be pious. They are to be righteous. Remember, we are to be holy and in close fellowship with God. 1 John 1, 7. Don't forget, God is holy. We're supposed to be holy. An eighth point we saw in this, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. How are we supposed to live today? Discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. Well, how do we know what the mind of God is? It's easy. You study his word. Bible study is so important. I'm not talking about just reading it as a novel, but to study the word of God, to study the verses, to memorize the verses. Let God speak to you. Let his Holy Spirit instruct you. And when his Holy Spirit shows you something, apply it to your life. That's actually an act of worshiping God. A ninth point that Paul mentions here under the influence of the Holy Spirit, we are not just to avoid fellowship with, sinful, with the sinful behaviors of others. We are commanded to expose them, especially if the behavior is found in a fellow Christian. Whoa. We are to aid him in his walk with God. But, but it is so important to do this with non-Christians and with Christians, to do this humbly and with love. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 25 and 26 speak of this. My friends, you seldom help a person by beating them over the head with a Bible. That's not being very humble about it. A tenth point. We are to be wise, it says. How do we become wise? Well, two things really help a lot. One, you go to the Word of God. That's the first thing. What does God have to say on this? I'll tell you, you're looking for wisdom? Go to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. It's phenomenal. There's all sorts of information in there. It's an excellent start. Study Proverbs. I'll give you a challenge. Uh, there's 31 chapters in there. Try reading a chapter a day for a month or two. Just try doing that. You'll go through the book of Proverbs in a month. Just, just read it and do this. I was challenged with this many years ago, and I did it for a month. A pastor actually challenged me to do that, to read a chapter a day, uh, a day throughout the month. And um, I saw him months later, actually, I think it was over a year later, and he came up and asked me how my challenge, you know, how I was doing on the challenge. And I said, I'm still doing it. I said, I'm enjoying doing this so much. So for over a year, I read a chapter a day of, of Proverbs. It's very easy to do. And I was taking notes on it as I did it. Proverbs is a great way to start. And I'll tell you what, a second point. If you still need help, ask older, experienced Christians who are walking close with the Lord for advice. Years give people some wisdom. And a lot of times you get really good advice from these people. I have used this myself. 
when I was thinking of leaving the field of education to go into ministry, I went to um, my dear friend Dan Hayden, and I asked him for wisdom on this. I was reading the scripture, but I still wanted more. And he told me, find um, 30 people who are walking close with God, older people for advice that you know are walking close with God, and get their advice. And I have given that same advice to many people as I'm giving it to you now. There's an 11th point that is given here. We're to make the best use of the time. The best use of the time. What does this mean? It's the time that God grants us. Every Christian, as we've already pointed out, should not be lazy or slothful. No. The Greek word being used here for time is karyon. Now, this means, literally, it means the opportune of seasonal time. Now, it is also in the Greek being used with the definitive article, the, meaning then, when you put it together, this most likely refers to a person's lifetime as a Christian. This is being written to Christians, the lifetime of the person as a Christian. In other words, we need to make the most of the time God grants us to serve him. A 12th point that we read here. We are to understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what the will of the Lord is. How do we do that? Again, we need to be in the Word. We need to know what God's Word says about it. We need to know what God's opinion is on different actions and behaviors. And when He shows us and tells us, apply that to your life. Are you starting to see how important Bible study is? <laughs> to study the Word of God. Wow, we really need to do that. And then finally, number 13. We are to be filled, said filled, not with alcohol, uh, no, and that makes us drunk and act foolishly at times when you overindulge in that, when you're filled with it. No, we're to be filled with the Spirit. We do this by filling our minds with what the Spirit tells us in the Word of God. Then Paul writes in verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Verse 20 continues, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. When I was preparing this lesson and I read that part, it really brought to my mind that this is almost the exact same thing that Paul wrote to the, uh, the Colossians, the church in Colossae, on how they were to live. Let me just read a part of that. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 15, 16, and 17, Paul writes, again, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You realize singing praises to God is important? How are we supposed to live in this time period that we're in? How are we supposed to live as Christians in this world? One thing we're supposed to be doing is singing praises to God. You see, Satan can't stand to be in the presence of people praising and giving thanks to God. It really irritates his ears. 
when you're feeling low and you feel Satan attacking you or whatever, you're feeling depressed. I've said this to many times in the past. Try singing praises to God. It's amazing. Yeah, it's a little hard sometimes to start, but then you find out, boy, I just want to keep doing this because it lifts our spirits when we do this. Have you ever noticed that most church services begin with a segment of corporate praising God in songs? Why? Because it helps to set our minds on the right path and helps us to be prepared to worship Him later on in our service. Folks, this is how we should live. In both passages, we are instructed to know the Word of God, to talk with God, to worship God. How are we supposed to live? There you are. This is our purpose in life and how we should live. And it is through studying the Word and talking to God that we grow spiritually. Without those two, both those actions, without those two, we are like a potted plant deprived of soil and water. We dry up. And we're to be thankful and worship Him who created us in everything. I have one last thought and verse I want to leave you with as I conclude this lesson on how we should live. It's taken from the book of Philippians. And it helps us to know what is permissible and impermissible. Too often people struggle with determining what is right or wrong with issues that we have, modern issues today, that are not found specifically in the Word of God. I've many times had people ask me, young people in particular will ask me, um, I'm going through this or I'm being, uh, having this come in front of my life here and I don't know because this is not mentioned specifically in the Word of God that I can find. W what do I do? How do I find out what God wants me to do? Well, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8 gives us the solution to this. It reads, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. This is an excellent verse to use as a litmus paper test. The things that you're not sure of that come across us that are not found in the Bible. Apply this. Father God, we thank you for this passage, for the Holy Spirit telling Paul what to write. And Lord, I pray that we just don't read these words, but it's, we would apply these things to our lives. How important this is because you have told us here and in other places in the New Testament how we are to live in this world. So I pray, Lord, that you, your Holy Spirit uses this lesson, this podcast. You bless it and bless those who are listening. In Jesus' name and for his honor and glory, amen. Thanks for joining me on this podcast. And look on our website at evidence. Uh, evidenceforfaith.org and you can see other lessons that we have there and um, we'd love to hear from you. But until we, we meet again, take care and may God bless.